before, but in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer writes these words. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I mentioned at the beginning how grateful I was and still am really for your prayers over the time that we've had off. And you do really need prayer when you preach on Sunday night and then you're on holiday on Sunday morning. It's a little bit difficult to to disconnect sometimes. And as I had all of these things swirling around in my mind, our our prayer meetings came to mind every now and again. And it, it dawned on me as I was thinking about our prayer meetings It dawned on me that in the past, when we have simply focused our minds on who God is, the time of prayer that follows has always been that much more enthused, that much more vibrant, that much more passionate and even lively. Sometimes when there's been a a number of steps or connections or dots for us to join in our brain before we get to the relevance of prayer... Maybe the time of prayer hasn't been as lively, as enthused, as passionate. But when we've just spent 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes or so, bowing before the sovereignty of God and His grace and His wisdom and His love and all of the other attributes we've spent time thinking about, the more exciting we've been to pray. Tozer was right, wasn't he? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the reason that's relevant tonight is because our thoughts of God shape the way that we pray. Our thoughts of God shape the way that we pray. And that's why tonight I want us to think about one word in the verses that we read. And the word is this, Father. That's the word. Just one word for us to consider tonight, Father, our Father in heaven. And to to begin with, my, my question for us would be this, is that what comes to your mind when you think about God? The, the fatherhood of God, God's fatherly nature toward his people. And tonight I want us to think about how the fatherhood of God fatherhood of God should shape our prayers. And the point that I want us to consider tonight is this. Since God is Father, God is to be feared. Since God is Father, He is to be feared. Now that's not where you thought I was going to go with this, perhaps. It's trendy, isn't it, to to hear people praying to God as, as Daddy. And God becomes this Nice big giant teddy bear in the sky perhaps. But since God is Father, God is to be feared. Remember friends, He's our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. An exalted Father. The God, the Father who keeps watch over the nations, 
because he's enthroned over the nations. The one who lifts up kings and puts them down because their authority is derived from his authority. The God, the Father who lifted up Boris Johnson and then put him down. And the God who has lifted up Liz Truss and will one day put her down too. And our God is in the heavens. Our Father is in the heavens and he does all that pleases him. And he gives an account to no man and to no human court of appeal. We had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. How much more then should we be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Since God is Father, he is to be feared. And this is hard for us, I think, in our 21st century Western culture, because again, if we are not constantly deriving our vision of God, our theology of God from the Bible, the tendency is for us to make a God in our own image. And who wants to fear themselves? Well, none of us want to do that. And so it's no wonder that in the church in the West, there's so little talk of the fear of God, so little emphasis on the fear of God, so much embarrassment around the fear of God, because the God that we're all praying to is just a projected image of ourselves into the sky. And sometimes you, you hear preachers say, well, look, the, the fear of God isn't a dread. It's not, it's not fear. It's, it's, just, it's just like a, a respect or something. But I remember hearing a preacher some years ago say, that all sounds well and good, but when you read the Bible and read about the times when people met God, it sure looks like they were terrified. But friends, here's where it becomes thrilling for us to think about the fear of God. The fear of God in view of the majesty of God is good news when you remember that that terrifying God is for you. That terrifying God is for you. The God who can keep watch over the nations is the same God who is keeping watch of you. When you go into your room, close the door, sit on your bed and pray. The God who is exalted and dwells in the high and lofty place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the spirit of the contrite. Who can do that for you? I can't do that for you. I can't revive the the spirit of the contrite, but God can. And in his omnipotent power, that is what he chooses to do. The God who lifts up kings and then puts down kings says to you and to me, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The same hand that lifted up Boris Johnson, put him down, is the hand that upholds me as I pray. The hand that upholds you as you pray. The hand that upholds us as we gather tonight to pray. And the God who is in the heavens, the God who does all that pleases him, is unhindered in doing you good in Jesus Christ. Who could stop him? Who could stop him from blessing you 
in Jesus Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Will angels stop him? Will demons stop him? With the kings of the earth and the queens of the earth who gather together against the Lord and our anointed. No, they cannot do anything. Because God is God. And even when he does discipline us, even when our sin grieves the Holy Spirit, and he comes to us in his terrifying presence, he disciplines us with a perfect patience and appropriate severity for a needed period of time. He's not flying off the handle. He's not out of control. He is very much in control when he disciplines his children. The fear of God is a glorious thing. The fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord revives the heart. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of life. I didn't see this, but I heard a preacher a number of years ago talk about a a reality TV show that revolved around kids being put in a house, and the premise was this, no parents, no rules, no limits, nothing, just off you go. And they enter the house over the moon. It's like all of their birthday wishes have come true in one single moment. But what began as their greatest dream turned out to be their worst nightmare. Why? Well, because as soon as someone upset someone else, as, someone ha- as soon as someone had an accident and hurt themselves, as soon as anyone with any ounce of strength or wisdom or anything was needed, he or she wasn't there. And so it was a disaster. It was a nightmare. I got back from Whitby and Ada and my girls hadn't seen me in about eight, nine days. And... I'm reversing the car, and Ada just bursts out of the door, and she's screaming, Daddy's home, and she's waving her arms, and she's jumping up and down, and then Emmy comes out with her tiny little legs trying to follow her, and she's doing the same thing. Why are they, why are they doing that? Well, because from day one of their lives, I have used my strength and my wisdom and my everything else for their benefit. And to love them. And to do what's right by them. And I have fallen far short. And I have sinned. And I've made mistakes. And I've got it wrong so many times. But if that was their response to me, an imperfect father. Then what should our response be like to our perfect father? Who has used every one of his attributes toward us perfectly in Jesus Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? The Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand? Great is thy faithfulness. We'll sing wonderful hymn about.